Well, welcome. It's good to see you and good to be a part of this worship gathering together. We are in between. We just finished a series called Stones and Bones, Unearthing's Faith, Faith Foundations, and we talked about kind of the bedrock beliefs of Christianity and what we believe and why we believe it and what makes us Christian. And next week is Easter. Can you believe it? I, it's Palm Sunday today? I know you can't tell because we don't have palms waving all over the place, but it's actually Palm Sunday today. And next Sunday is Easter. It's starting a new series for us called Failed Christians. And we're very excited about that. Uh, it's a very real kind of testimonial time. Stories showing how faith oftentimes is not perfect as it is being lived out. And so we invite you to join us for that and invite some of your friends to come and check that out. This week is kind of in between. It's a little bit of foundational stuff and a little bit of talking about stories and how we got to where we are in our understanding of faith. And uh, it's called Plunge, the Meaning and Mystery of Baptism. And we'll talk about all that that means as we go through here. But one thing that I would invite you to do, we are going to be talking about baptism today. So if you have a question in your head or in your heart that you've always wanted to ask about baptism, we invite you to take your bulletin there. And on the inside, you have a nice big page for notes and things. And invite you to take the pens that are on your chairs and write your question right on that paper. And then a little bit later on, we'll have the opportunity to share some of those questions. And I know that's, that can be intimidating. Uh, hopefully, you've come to understand that Artisan is a place that we're really laid back, very comfortable, and uh, you would feel comfortable sharing your question with us. Uh, and that would be a re- that's going to be a great uh, question and answer time that we have. So, as you're thinking about your question and preparing to write it down, I'll share a little bit of my story as it relates to baptism. I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. And so for me, baptism was very specific, uh, with infant baptism. And I can't remember in my 20-some-odd years of Roman Catholicism uh, ever seeing an adult baptized. I don't, I don't ever remember that, uh, ever seeing that. Uh, pretty much it was all infant baptism all the time. And so that was my upbringing and that was my experience with baptism. And then I started to investigate this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I started to look at the Bible and what it said and how it informed my faith journey. And I started hearing teachings from more of a Protestant, specifically Baptist kind of bent. And so I went from understanding infant baptism and my pendulum swung way over to the other side and started to really embrace adult or believer baptism. And went on that journey and that path for a little while until I I went to seminary and uh, started to have some of my beliefs and thoughts questioned and challenged a little bit. Why do you think that? Where does the scripture say that? And 
as I came into this denomination, uh, really had that idea of baptism questioned as to why I believe the things that I do. And hopefully today will be a good question and answer uh, time where you can ask the question, why do I personally, not, not me, why do you uh, believe what you believe about baptism? And uh, we may or may not throw some things out that will be revelatory to you. Uh, it may be stuff that's old hat for you. Um, some of this stuff you might be saying, well, it seems kind of um, not so important to me. And okay, that's, that's all right. Uh, but some of you might be saying, you know, I really have some questions about baptism and how that informs my faith and what I believe. Regardless of where you stand on this, this whole baptism thing, I think one thing that we can agree on is that baptism is a pretty gray issue in the church. There are some churches that dunk. There are some churches that pour. There are some churches that sprinkle. There are some churches that baptize in the name of Jesus alone. There are other churches that baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There are churches that will baptize infants, and there are churches that will baptize only believers. And so the wonderful thing about all this is that Scripture, where we're supposed to go for our rule of faith, is pretty unclear when it comes to baptism. See, the way that things are supposed to work when I set up a sermon and when our pastor set up a sermon is we're supposed to create tension and then we're supposed to show how God and His Word relieves that tension and informs us and solves our problem. But today, that's not going to happen. And we're just basically going to be left with a lot of tension. So might not be good for your emotional health today, but at least we'll go leaving a, a little bit more informed. This becomes an important issue because Jesus left us with two, two very important things. And if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard of these things. The great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Great Commission is the second thing that Christ left us with. And it's very important. It's found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And I invite you, if you have your pens, to write that verse down and check it out this week. It's going to be up on the screen. And I just want us all to take a look at these verses. And in particular, verse 19. Jesus is talking to the people and he's about to go away. And so he's telling them, this is what you are to do with all that I've taught you, with all that I've shown you. This is what you are to do. This is your commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in verse 9 he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations and baptize them. So as gray of an issue as this is, we still have to deal with it 
We can't sweep it under the carpet. This is, this is one of the major, one of the only things that as Jesus is, is departing, going to be with his Father in heaven, this is or his parting words, says, you need to go make disciples, baptize them. So we need to deal with baptism. And so our title is Plunge, Meeting, and Mystery of Baptism. And the first part I'd like to talk about, and this is where we're going to have a little question-answer feedback time, is this meaning of baptism. And so I invite you to take your questions that you have in front of you, and I invite the other staff guys to come on up here. And we're going to take some time to field your questions about baptism and how we do it here at this church. As they are coming up, one of the things that uh, we need to, to point out is that in our church, we are part of what's called the Evangelical Covenant Church. We shorten that to say the covenant, but we don't always use that name because some of you have heard this before, some of you this is the first time. Uh, when I say the covenant to a lot of people, uh, anybody that's ever played Halo before knows that the, the evil alien horde that is coming to destroy the earth is what? The covenant, right. And what's that? Well, they did already destroy the earth, that's true. But okay, that's, we got to go back to Halo 1, okay? <laughs> um, in Alias, Jennifer Garner. Uh, <laughs> that's not in my notes anywhere. <laughs> in Alias, what, what's, what's the evil group uh, that is trying to destroy or thwart the United States? The, the Covenant. No, it's not the Evangelical Covenant Church. Uh, a movie that came out a couple years ago all about warlocks and witches and magic and powers and demonic forces and things is, no, not Harry Potter. <laughs> is The Covenant. So we sometimes don't use that name very often because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't carry very positive connotations with people. But we're part of a denomination that is really actually quite wonderful. And one of the things that we really respect about our denomination is their policy on these gray issues. And from the affirmations of faith in our, in our covenant writings, uh, they say this about baptism. Yeah, that's right here. The covenant chooses to respect the biblical positions of both infant and believer baptism equally. The covenant recognizes this choice as a great challenge for the unity of the church in that these positions, as classically stated, become mutually exclusive at critical points of theology and practice. <laughs> so we do it all, and it's awfully confusing when we do it, is basically what that says. So. We want to talk a little bit about baptism and answer your questions and how we hold these two seemingly opposed things in tension with each other here at Artisan. So, with that, we want to ask for your questions. Is anybody willing to be the first person and really take that step forward and ask a question? Mark. Where did this whole idea of baptism start? Um, 
Um, the idea of baptism, the whole idea of washing, goes back into the Old Testament. In fact, we'll talk, we may get into, depending on your questions, some of the, these ideas of, uh, depending on what it was, whether it was a, a priest that was being ceremonially washed to go into the temple, uh, there's this idea of washing. Uh, whether a person was made unclean by touching something dead, they had to be sprinkled by water to be made clean. Um, so there's, there's examples and pictures of this washing all throughout the, the, the Hebrew Testament also. People converted to Judaism. Here, this is called a microphone. And I believe also, as a, you don't hear about it a lot, but people would convert to the Jewish faith. And part of that, there was, a, there was a cleansing ritual that was part of that as well that had a lot of similarities to, uh, to baptism, uh, immersion, that kind of washing imagery. So. Now, the difference is in the New Testament is John started to initiate something that was a little bit different. And uh, that was this baptism uh, for repentance and forgiveness of sins, um, uh, or more repentance, uh, that he started to initiate in preparation for this Savior that was to come. Um, and so that's, that's where uh, it changes a little bit in the New Testament. Anybody, have, anybody else have any other uh, thoughts on that? Okay. Go ahead, Matt. Okay. Do you want to field this one, Scott? Sure. The question? Restate yeah, the question. The, the question, um, Matt just pointed out that what we described or what Brian and Jason just described explains adult baptism. Uh, where is the basis for infant baptism? That's your question. Um, well, I can answer that two ways. One way is that um, it's uh, baptism is the sign of the new covenant. And... It, I don't know how much Old Testament stuff you know, um, but the the sign. What was the sign of the old covenant? Anybody know? Circumcision. Um, and so, when an infant was born, he, it was just males, were circumcised. Uh, they, he would he would be circumcised on the eighth day of his life. Um, and so, for Christians, we we view baptism as the sign of the new covenant with Jesus. And so it seems fitting to some of us that uh, that would happen to infants as, um, as well. And one of the really wonderful things about baptism as a, a sign of a new covenant is that it is something that's for both men and women, both males and females, whereas the old sign was just for, for males. Yeah, okay. Then... You know, the folks who hold the two different points of view would both argue, um, usually quite strongly, in fact, that they're both scriptural point of views, so that, that may be helpful as well. And so I'd encourage you to write these down. Um, there's, there's, of course, many examples in the New Testament of, of adults confessing faith and then being baptized, Ethiopian eunuch and some others. But there's this interesting thread of whole families, whole households. And so here's, here's three that you may want to write down. Uh, Acts chapter 16 Verses 14 and 15, you have Lydia and her whole household are baptized. Uh, Lydia was a first European convert, a businesswoman, and even in that patriarchal society, 
surrounding that, she was the head of the, that household and all the, the servants and slaves and extended family. So it, all it says, without giving details, whole, whole household. Uh, a little bit later in Acts chapter 16 as well, a different event, verse 31 and 33, you have Paul and Silas who are in jail, and then sort of miraculously they're freed, but the jailer you know, thinks he's going to have to kill himself, and they say, don't worry, we're going to stay here. And then because of their testimony, the jailer uh, sets him free anyways, which I'm not sure how that works for him getting killed the next day by his bosses. But uh, he and his whole family are then baptized. And then the final one is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and that's where Paul baptizes the whole house of Stephanus. And... Um, and actually, I'll be able to throw to Brian to talk some about how the head of household and those things worked in that day. Well, the other thing that we have to realize and understand is that we look at baptism basically the only way that we really can, and that's through our kind of North American, United States lenses. And when we do that, we come at it from a very individualistic mindset. Uh, we have this idea that um, you know it's it's your individual faith, it's your individual salvation. That idea, I would say, was not common in this culture that we're reading about here in, in the time of Christ. It's not common in many cultures that exist today. Um, it, this individualistic culture just is a completely different mindset for for these these other cultures. For them, the idea of of the head of a household converting to Christ or following after Jesus Christ, of course the entire family would then be converted and the entire household would then be baptized. Um, so uh, just the, we need to be careful when we come at Scripture to recognize and realize that uh, we come with a, a certain set of beliefs and understandings just because it's our own experience. Uh, that might not be the common experience of our own time or especially uh, the common experience of a culture that lived 2,000 years ago. Uh, so, Which, of course, is not to say that we want to return to a fully patriarchal society where right. uh, a man makes a decision and his whole household has to abide by it, <laughs> even if it means painful surgery on his teenage son. Um, <laughs> that's not what we want to return to. <laughs> um, but we do at Artisan have a high value on family, as you know. Um, and that, that was one of the things that, that was a strong influence in my family's decision to have our son baptized when he was a baby, as opposed to dedicated. Um, you know, in another piece, uh, as we come to Scripture, and I hope you get that, that we, uh, we see Scripture as, as having priority in, in things of, of faith, in concluding, excuse me, including baptism, um, but the church has always been the interpretive community. The, that's where Scripture gets interpreted. And it's, it's interesting to note that from the earliest time, infants were baptized, as far as we can tell. It's a little murky in the first century, maybe two. Then it's pretty clear cut. So for whatever that's worth, it was at least considered an area of freedom in Christ, uh, allowed for um, whatever. And I know this morning you guys shared some of your story, but that might be interesting too, to because uh, it's one of a big one. But the other thing to uh, point out is this whole idea of uh, believer baptism only, that's relatively new. 
uh, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, it started in 1633 with a particular branch of the Baptists called the Peculiar Baptists. I'm not kidding. I'm not making up the name. Uh, the Peculiar Baptists were the first ones to say we baptize adult or uh, believers, a person that is able to make that cognitive decision to follow Christ only. So it's only been, you know, roughly a couple hundred, 300 years, 400 years, give or take. Math is hard. <laughs> so we've had a whole lot of A and not as much Q. So for our Q&A, let's go back and see if there are any more questions. Yes, sir. Sure. Sarah asks a good question. Um, she says that uh, for, for a long time, the Catholic Church was the only church there was. And isn't the Catholic view of infant baptism just that it keeps babies out of hell? And uh, if, we don't, if we don't think that baptism keeps a baby out of hell, and, and we don't um, think that, at least not in that sense, um, what's the point of doing it? Um, and that's, a, I think, a fair question. Um, and it, since, it, since the infant can't have a declaration of faith on his or her own. And that's, that's the other point that she made. Um, I can speak to our fa my family's decision, uh, which, no, my son Abel was not able to declare his own faith in Jesus at 10 months old or however old he was. He was about 10 months old. Uh, but Tracy and I were able to declare our faith in Jesus and our faith that Jesus would save him too. And so, and, and furthermore, we, we, we wanted something ceremonial to um, declare our participation in this community of faith. Uh, now you say baby dedication could accomplish that, and it could. Um, but I also believe that baptism, much like communion, is um, a means of grace, that it's one of the ways that God gives us grace, uh, that it's more than just a symbol, less than a magic spell, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, and specifically in the case of infant baptism, it's a sign of a particular type of grace because uh, grace doesn't begin when you make a confession of faith. Grace is present in your life before you make that confession of faith. Theologically, we call that prevenient grace, if you care. <laughs> Just means grace that comes before. And so baptism of an infant, we believe, is a means of that prevenient grace. Now, does he have prevenient grace without being baptized? Ariel was dedicated. Does she not have prevenient grace? Well, of course, I don't believe that. But um, it, it's we're kind of, uh, like Brian said, it's sort of a gray area for us. Though we understand that for many, many people, it's very black and white, and it's, it's like something to throw down over. Um, it's just, it just isn't for us, for our denomination, for our community here locally. And so if, if that's something that you want to throw down over, 
you can go find a place to throw down over it. It's not going to be here. <laughs> though, though, you know, reasonable dialogue, of course, is important. <laughs> Tina has a question. So the question is, what, do we, what is our thoughts on rebaptism or baptizing again? Um, that's a very good question. I myself were, was baptized as a baby. I made the decision to be baptized as an adult uh, as a symbol of my faith and making the decision to follow Christ. Had I been more informed and possibly in a different church, I probably would have made a different decision to reaffirm my baptismal vows. So um, what do we think about rebaptism? I think it largely depends on the individual um, and what that means to you. Uh, if you. If you're at a place in your spiritual walk where... Did you want to answer this, Mike? Okay. Um, a place in your spiritual walk where... It is important for you to make that symbol, that outward confession of Christ uh, being your Lord and Savior, of you dying to yourself and dying to sin and being reborn or, or uh, made alive again in Christ and identify with His, his resurrection. Uh, I think that it would be very important for, for you to experience uh, baptism as an adult. Um, Particularly, and I think this is where it gets a little bit symbolic and uh, creates a, a really beautiful image, particularly full immersion baptism, where you fully are immersed, and that symbolizes your full death to yourself, to sin. And then you're brought up out of the water, and you are reborn in new life, identifying with Christ's resurrection. And so it's just this beautiful image of uh, being identifying with Christ's death and his resurrection uh, through that symbol of, of baptism. Uh, it's also very ap appropriate to uh, reaffirm your baptismal vows as an adult, re recognizing that you were baptized as a child into uh, faith uh, and into a community of faith, and you're just reaffirming those, uh, those vows that your parents made when you were a baby. And, and practically speaking, because uh, if you look in your bulletin, we're going to have a kind of baptism celebration. Also have infant dedication might happen those times too um, in a few weeks. But uh, practically speaking, we've already had this, uh, I've had this discussion with someone else who was baptized as a child, but, you know, wants to be a again. And what the way I've described to them is, well, we would reaffirm that baptism. I said, but what better way to reaffirm that than showing the exact same actions? So it's not like someone who wants to be baptized again has to sort of go in the other line and just get a little sprinkle or something. Now, we'll dunk you too. But we will say slightly different words um, to, to, uh, to speak to that. 
Um, so I, I suspect there's some folks that had that question, like what will actually happen? The physical action will be all but identical, and some of the words that we would say as pastors around that would speak more to reaffirming what had already taken place before. How many? How many? <laughs> how many baptisms do you get before you get your free free baptism? I, I think it's like five or so. I, I lost my card. Get five. Do five. Get six. Three. <laughs> Avila. Yeah, the ECC also confirms. Yeah, I should restate the question. The, the question that Avila stated was, um, most places where there's infant baptism, there is also some kind of reaffirmation of faith, either a confirmation uh, in the Jewish faith that when a child came of age, it was a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, um, uh, which just means son or daughter of the law. Um, and uh, so that, that tradition is definitely in the, in the uh, faith. The ECC also has a confirmation track uh, for uh, young adults, kind of 13 years old. Usually that, that age of 13 is kind of that age where we believe it's, uh, the accountability is there, um, that a child is able to understand cognitively what's going on in their faith and make that decision to either follow Christ or continue to, to search is this a real question, Tyler? Okay. Tyler's question is, if somebody came to Artisan unbaptized and wanted to be baptized right away, like within a week, uh, would they have to wait or do anything special before that would happen? Um, and we haven't talked about this as a staff, but I feel very confident making an executive decision about that right here on the spot. So, <laughs> um, No, I, I feel pretty safe speaking for the staff when I say we wouldn't do that on day seven of their participation at Artisan Church. Um, it, yeah, it wouldn't take three years either, but um, we would want to make sure that, that they were A... Um, that they had orthodox Christian faith, uh, and B, that they were part of this community. Because, again, I want to stress baptism um, not just as a sign of your conversion, but as a sign of your an, an initiation rite, a ritual of entrance into the community of faith, uh, which is why I believe it's very appropriate for infants of Christian parents just as for recent converts. So... Um, that would be another reason to, to make somebody wait after becoming part of Artisan before baptizing that person. Just also to, to throw out there, um, one of the positions of, of our church is, as Scott pointed out, because it is an entrance into community, uh, we will not baptize here at Artisan. We will not baptize someone that is not part of the community here or does not have some kind of a sponsor here at, in our community. So if 
we actually I just got uh, a couple days ago a request from someone that wanted to baptize their child that's not part of artisan I don't know them none of us know them um, it, they're really because that comes at baptism from the wrong angle that that's looking at baptism as, as salvific as, as uh, yeah you get your little punch card and you're going to heaven um, that's not what baptism is about baptism is about entering into community um, the, the three things that uh, regardless of whether you, you're infant or, or a believer, that we want to see happen is, is number one, you want to hear the gospel message. Number two, you, you want to believe it or understand it. Uh, number three, there's got to be some kind of repentance there, uh, and then there can be baptism. Uh, now, infant, uh, we look at that it's, it's, it's a, as an initiating. In that case, baptism is, is initiating. Um, and then that hearing, repenting, and believing happens at the same time and all throughout their growing up in the church on many occasions. Whereas with believers, uh, baptism is a witness to the fact that you've heard, that you believe, and you repent. Um, so it's a, a little bit different way to look at, I think, the same uh, three things of hearing, believing, and repenting. And, and for part of what Tyler just asked, too, if if you know your scriptures at all, you know there's some obvious exceptions that as a church we'd have to deal with. Uh, you have Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, and Philip describes how these passages in Isaiah that the uh, Ethiopian eunuch um, is reading there speak of Christ coming and who Christ is. And, and in their conversation there as, uh, on the ride, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch confesses faith in Christ and says, well, why can't I be baptized? And Philip's like, well, there's a ditch. It's full of water. Let's get this done. Um, and then he disappears, though, which is a little odd. Uh, we would try not to disappear here. Um, Although that so, would be really that'd cool. That would be cool. Um, so, so, again, kind of in the make executive decisions, don't hold us too much to this, but this may be a discussion. When we do baptisms, the baptism service in several weeks, my suspicion is we will then ask where if there's anyone there who is looking to do that and then we'll have to in the moment discern whether that's a good idea or not but what will then happen is sort of like with the infant baptism where we'll make darn sure that the follow-up the uh, the uh, coming alongside that person happens as well that's more Jason talking though right now um, the other part with Scott talking we'll work it out in the uh, in the mix so we have uh, time for one last question. Dean, you had another question? Um, if I understand correctly, uh, Dean is pointing out that there's a passage in Matthew 16, um, 616. 16, 16. Um, yeah, I think he's got his numbers wrong. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, but that if you 
if you repent and are baptized, then you're not condemned. Is that? There's a verse that says, if you believe and are baptized, you'll be saved. Right. There's some confusion on, is the baptism right. salvation? The, right. Jason just restated it very well. There's a verse that says, if you believe and are baptized, then you'll be saved. And the confusion that exists sometimes, uh, that's okay, um, is that that the baptism leads directly to salvation. And some churches baptize infants because they think that unless the infant is baptized, um, he, would, he or she would not be saved in the case of death. Uh, and that's not why we would baptize infants here. That, that's not our theology, um, and it's not our rationale for being willing to baptize infants. Just to reemphasize, we do not view baptism as salvific. In other words, a means of salvation. That is what Christ did on the cross. And uh, so we don't believe that. Okay. Thank you very much for your your questions. Um, I have to wrap it up. I know you probably have a, a ton of more questions. And we invite you after service tonight. As is our usual practice, we have a meal together, and we invite you to stick around and ask your questions, and we can answer them one-on-one. Yeah, we could even have a baptism discussion table if we wanted to make it formal. or uh, It's going to be over there by the pool, right there. Um, But in closing... I wanted, I wanted to look at one passage of Scripture that I think regardless of where you come down, whether you believe in infant baptism or adult baptism or both, whether you are a sprinkler, a pourer, or a dunker, whether you believe it's in the name of Jesus Christ or in the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I, I think this passage of Scripture is one that really speaks to something that we can all agree upon, that we can all take hope from. And it's found in Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 6. This is the mystery of baptism. Mystery doesn't mean something that's, that's magical or foreign. What it means in the original meaning of the word is something that was once hidden but is now revealed. And so in this passage of Romans, Paul talks about how the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the salvation of God's people was once hidden but is now revealed in Jesus Christ. So verses 3 through 11 of Romans 6 say this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, what we, have, we have been buried with Him by baptism into death So that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be destroyed. And we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is free from sin. 
But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Some of you might be hearing these words about death to sin and identifying with Christ and dying to uh, sin the same way that Christ died physically and being identified with Christ's resurrection and born to new life. That might be new and novel for you. And we're going to pray in just a moment, and I invite you to pray along and, and really receive that gift of grace, of identifying with Christ's death, of being reborn into new life. Some of you, this is a, a, something that you're very familiar with on your journey and on your walk. And I invite you to be praying for those in your life that you know that need that kind of rebirth, that new life that can only be found in Christ. And so let's go to God and pray and ask Him to help us identify and, and resonate with this dying and being reborn just as Christ was. Let's bow our hearts. Our Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for this symbol, this sacrament of baptism. Father, I know that I have fallen short of the perfect life you require that I have failed. I know that your son Jesus died so that he might put an end to death. And he was raised to life so that he might bring new life. Father, I accept and die death to sin as Christ did. And I accept the gift of new life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for welcoming me into your community, into your family. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We have a time of response here at Artisan, and one of the ways to do that is at table. And this is our table of thanksgiving, our table of Eucharist. The bread represents the broken body of Christ, his death. And when you eat this bread, remember Christ's death that put an end to death. There's a cup on the table, and in it represents uh, the blood of Christ, this new covenant, this new life that we can all have. And so we invite you to remember and thank God for this new life. So take a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, and celebrate. Thank God for this wonderful way that we can identify with Christ's death and resurrection and find new life in Him. I'll also be sitting over here at the side if, if there's a prayer that you'd like to pray, uh, you'd like to share with me, and we can pray together. 
uh, invite you to come on over here. And as always, we invite you to just uh, take some time to meditate and, and pour over what you've heard today uh, through that Romans 6 passage or maybe something that one of the pastors shared really hit home. And, and so we invite you to just meditate on that all, as well. And so I'm going to invite the band to come up and uh, they're going to play some music as we respond to God's word. And uh, we invite you to, to participate as, as you uh, feel led uh, today. So let's uh, pray once more. Father, as we respond to your word, we pray that you would truly draw us close to your heart, that we might know you and identify with Christ in his death and resurrection. It is through the power of your son Jesus that we offer our lives and our sacrifice ourselves to you. Amen.